Well, good morning, Dort College. It was um, wonderful to be back here, listening to your voices singing again. You sound good singing together. It's good to be back. Um, it's good to be back in community. I hope you all had a wonderful and refreshing break and are ready for the semester ahead. What we would have done at Dort College up until about six years ago at this time is we always kicked off the second semester with a convocation ceremony just like we did in the fall. We decided at that point in time after some lack of interest and buy-in from the community that we would change it. And so we decided we would start a new tradition. That instead of inviting some guest voice to come and speak to us at the start of the second semester convocation, that instead we would roll that into chapel, we would offer up worship together, and that we would ask our own leader at that point in time to kick off the next semester. And so that's become our new tradition, that the president gives the first message of the spring semester kicking off the new year. Next week, I'll jump into a series. We're going to talk about um, why they're leaving and why it matters. And I've been fascinated the last two years with this departure um, that we're seeing amongst millennials and Gen Z um, in terms of church um, attendance and participation, loyalty to the institutional church. And we're just going to look at this cultural moment and what that's saying about both the church and about ourselves as a generation. Um, so we're going to look at that the rest of the semester. And Dr. Hookstra is going to kick us off today. Will you please join me in welcoming your president, Dr. Hookstra. Thanks, praise team, and thanks, sound booth. Thanks particularly for making sure my mic was off when the singing was going on. I appreciated that a lot. Well, indeed, welcome back um, for second semester. Freshmen, for your second semester. Seniors, for what might be your last semester. And I've tried to position this talk this morning, particularly perhaps to you. I don't think you're that unique, second semester freshmen or last semester seniors, so I'm sure there'll be something for everybody, I hope, and I pray that um, puts it together. I tend to think of myself, I know I'm getting old, I turned 50 in September, but I try as much as I can because I hang around college students to catch on. Things like YOLO, I kind of get it. I don't use it a lot. I don't really put LOL in my text because I don't understand when you're supposed to use it, but I know kind of what it means. But just before break, I came across this one, FOMO. And I'm guessing this might be like your older siblings that maybe started this one, so if I'm off on it, I had no idea what it was. So what do I do as an old guy? I check with, okay, Google. What is FOMO? I'm always nervous when I check these, I'll be honest with you, because I've found some that I know I shouldn't use. FOMO, fear of missing out. Do you use this one? You know it? No, it was your older siblings, fair enough. But I was fascinated with the definition, an anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media. A pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. After I read that, I put it in the context of some things that are going on in my life and some things I've been reading and preparing this talk, and I thought, that's... That's, the, that's what we're going to hang on today, is fear of missing out. Because I believe in our created image-bearingness, I think the fear of missing out is a big deal. And I think it's caused unbelievable carnage, sadness, and alienation from God, really, since the garden. Fear of missing out. And I don't want you to have that alienation. I know anxiety is up among high school and college students, 
And I don't want to pretend in any way this morning that this chapel talk with what I'm going to say about the fear of missing out is a substitute for the great mental health services and counseling services that we have on campus. So if you've got anxiety, I am not suggesting today that what I have to say will cure it. But I am suggesting there's a deep anxiety in us as image bearers of God. I want to tell you a couple stories about my own journey in that and what I've found, and I hope there's something for you to take into this new semester. Anybody know this guy or this book? Hopefully some of you do. The Road to Character, David Brooks. He's one of our, I would say, leading. I don't always agree with him. And as I've told you before, students, don't read all the people you agree with all the time. I read David fairly regularly. I've heard him speak a couple of times. What's the most interesting part to me about David is about over the last five years, he's in the process of becoming a believer. And he's done that privately, but because of who he is, he's not been able to do it 100% privately. It's been a fairly public thing. I've had the privilege, as I say, of hearing him speak twice over the last five years. And it's just interesting to watch someone become a Christian. I've always found people like C.S. Lewis, an avowed atheist, Augustine. I'm not sure if he would have been an avowed atheist, but he was certainly trying to run away from God. The stories of people like that who have, as adults, made the decision not to follow God and then come back around, I think they have an awful lot to teach us. And David was certainly in that boat. I just want to read you a little bit from the beginning of David's book. He he says in this book that he wrote this to save his soul. But he says this, Recently I've been thinking about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the ones you list on your resume, the skills that you bring to the job market and that contribute to external success. The eulogy virtues are deeper. They're the virtues that get talked about at your funeral, the ones that exist at the core of your being, whether you're kind, brave, honest, or faithful what kind of relationships you formed. Most of us would say that the eulogy virtues are more important than the resume virtues. But I confess that for long stretches of my life, I've spent more time thinking about the latter than the former. It's an interesting next line. Our education system is currently orientated around the resume virtues more than the eulogy virtues. Public conversation is too. The self-help tips in magazines and the nonfiction bestsellers Most of us have a clearer strategies on how to achieve career success than we do for how to develop a profound character. And again, David wrote this book about in the middle, I would say, of his search for meaning, of his walking towards God. And I'm going to just wind that through today, but before we do, we're going to play a little game. So bring up the house lights, and Kim and Alex have some prizes up here. I'll explain why we're doing this in a minute, but if you know... What novel this first line is from, you can yell it out. Who'd you get first, Kim? Throw him a towel, or throw him a shirt. Go ahead. All right, Moby Dick. Good. There's going to be some in here that are going to be easier and some that are harder. Good job. So we're, next ones, we're going to raise our hand, and whoever um, Alex sees as the first one will get that. Well, see, <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. All right. Charlotte's Web. There we go. Now I'm going to be really careful this time. Charlotte's Web. 
Who's got an arm up? Way in the back. Anna Karenina. There you go. Well, you, can, you, can you huck it that far, Kim? All right. Next one. Get him an arm. There we go. Great Gatsby. See, we have a great, great educational philosophy here. All right, last one. This one should going to be ready for this. Quick with the arms. Hang on. I see some arms, but do I want to go here? Which one? I know. I need a title. That's too easy. Back there. No. No. Nope. Really? You got all those highbrow ones. Come on. We'll get you one more time. No. You know what? I was wrong. I don't know why. I apologize. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Alex. I apologize. Man, that's bad. You got to know what you're doing. So, why do I put these up here? What do first lines do for us? First lines kind of create everything else. I put that up there because one time a pastor at a time in my life, when I wasn't sure I believed anymore, because I was way down in the details of trying to rationalize my faith and understand things like justification and sanctification and trying to understand the end times. And he said something to me, Eric. He said, you're forgetting the most essential part. And I said, what is it? He said the first four words. In the beginning, God. And just like a novel, the first line that grabs you and sets everything else into context, that's all you need to know, really, is the first four words. If you get that right and you put everything else into context, that's all you need to know. Because the rest of the story is about his love for us and his creating us in his image. And us walking away and him coming back. It's a covenant that starts at the very beginning. I say that for this reason. I'm afraid in today's society we don't get that. I'm afraid that the way in which we were created as image bearers of God, in terms of our fear of missing out, we can forget that. And once you start to forget that, and you move a little ways away, and a little ways away, and a little ways away, you can get very, very far from God. But if you keep that in mind, and then you go out, and you dig into the next pages of Scripture, and you dig into the instituted church, and you dig into how to be a Christian in the world, and you keep that in mind, everything else can make sense. It's like for I don't know how many years, we thought that we were a geocentric universe. You know this, right? You've taken courses in college. We thought we were in the middle and everything else revolved around us. We stayed still. And if you know that history, that paradigm, that way of thinking was what everything else worked off of. Charts were created, politics were held, ships were moved, people were killed because we thought that's the way that it was. And we found out 
That's not the way that it was. Everything else started to fit into place. It's still not perfect, and we'll never understand it fully. Shannon Vischer understands it a lot more than I do. But you understand how the paradigms that you have create the kinds of things you do, the ways in which you understand, and the way you're able to be nearer or further away from the truth. And this is the ultimate paradigm, those first four words, in the beginning, God. I want to juxtapose that to this one. I've got one more shirt. If you know where this is from, yell it out. What's that? Two, you got it. Perfect. High School Musical 2. How is this worldview different than in the beginning God? Do you see it? I want to listen to my own heart talking. I need to count on myself instead. David Brooks thought he could count on himself, and he came to a point in his life at which he said, this isn't working for me anymore. Counting on myself was gathering up my resume virtues, and it's not working for me anymore. That's the story of God. Trying to build it ourselves is never going to work. I want to give you a break, students. I hear an awful lot in contemporary culture that kids today just don't get it. They're so self-centered. You know what? That's bunk. Because Adam and Eve were fairly self-centered. They were listening to their own heart talking, or they were tempted by Satan to listen to their own heart. They counted on themselves instead. You are not the first generation to experience this, no matter what your grandparents or sometimes your professors or college presidents say. It's no different. This essential question of is God the center of everything or are you has been there since the garden. Compare that with what we read in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And I'm not trying to get you to stop listening to High School Musical 2. But in my generation, it was Bruce Springsteen that was telling me, you are the center of everything. For your grandparents, it was Elvis Presley, whatever. It's no different today. But I think we need to examine the kinds of things we say in our music, the kinds of things we say in terms of social media, and how it is that we might just have the paradigm wrong in terms of putting ourselves at the middle of this story versus putting God at the middle of the story. It's an essential truth that you have to get right if you want to live well. But again, this isn't the first generation that's ever done it. Adam and Eve struggled with it. Protagoras said this, right? Man is the measure of all things. So anybody that tells you your generation is so self-centered, point back to this guy. It's pretty self centered as well. And I think that's what David Brooks was talking about, is to say the resume virtues that man is the center and somehow man can perfect himself. And if I just take this class or I read this article or I start to act this way, it'll all work out. What I'm here to tell you is a guy with perhaps a little bit more gray hair on his head than what you have is, if you get that first thing wrong, it won't work out. God needs to be the center of it. And as I told you, People that 
live differently than me. My story is, I was told this on my mother's knee. I never really pushed away from God in heavy ways, but I think we can learn a lot from people who have, and that's why I love this. Dort's curricular coordinates. You know this, I hope. If you don't, you're getting it today. Our essential question of who owns your heart is why we start there. Because if you answer that question, who owns your heart, I do, then all the rest of the questions that you come to, you will get a different answer to, rather than saying, who owns your heart? God does. By putting God at the center of the story, everything else you look at, that's why we call it a worldview. You put those glasses on to say, no matter what I'm seeing, if I know God is at the heart of this, then I will trust then I will obey. Then I will hang on for more information even though I may be confused. It's what's at the heart of what Dort College does. We say on our Founders Vision plaque, putting Christ in the center of everything, right? Infusing everything we do with the spirit and teaching of Christianity. This answers, how do we do that? We first ask the question, who owns your heart? And the only thing that I would say to David Brooks is, yes, our education system is mostly about resume virtues, except at places like this, who affirm the supremacy of Christ and his kingship, and then also work on the resume virtues as well. I don't want you leaving this talk this morning thinking that your resume virtues are not important to Christ. They absolutely are. And I think for a long time, one of the things that Dort College did very well was eulogy virtues. And I'm not sure we took enough God-centered pride in our resume virtues. And I think I'm starting to see it amongst our alumni and our faculty to say, you know what? Just because we focus on eulogy virtues and we talk about the character of who we are as it relates to God does not mean for a minute that in the world that we should take second place or step behind or not talk about resume virtues. So I don't want you to leave this morning thinking that if I get the eulogy virtues right, I don't have to worry about the resume virtues. That's why I love Reformed theology so much. Because it's not just the fact that God is saving me. He is saving me for something. And the cool part about that is He's not saving us all to be pastors or evangelists in the traditional sense. He's gifted you, some of you, in literature, and some of you in politics, and some of you in social work, and some of you in medicine. And he's expecting you to hone those resume virtues once you put the eulogy virtues with him at the center. He wants them honed with excellence, right? We read that in scripture. Hone them with excellence and then go out and do something powerful for him in his kingdom. And so while it's been interesting to watch David Brooks sort of walk away from resume virtues and seek out eulogy virtues, I think the more interesting part is once you're committed to your eulogy virtues by putting God in the center, then what do you do with the resume virtues to change the world for Christ? And the reason that this diagram works this way is because they do flow from one to another. Let me show you. Who owns your heart has to come first. You can't skip that question. And I think that's what folks that don't 
study in a place like this do? They skip that question, or maybe they assume it. But for the most part, I think Brooks is right. Who owns your heart? Mostly in contemporary society is I do. It's just like High School Musical 2. I have to trust my own heart. I'll do it myself. But then if you go and look at how the world is put together with you at the center, you come up with very different answers than if you start with God being at the center. And that's what we're trying to do here in every class, in every discipline, in the co-curricular program of the college, in all of our athletics and our outreach efforts is to put God at the center first and then begin to understand how the world hangs together. After that, we look at the creational development. What's broken in this world? How did we get into this mess? And it, it won't take you very long to go on your Twitter feed and to see brokenness or to read the papers and see everything is not the way it's supposed to be. But we don't live in despair because of that. We live in hope because he has left his Holy Spirit with us. And as Aaron preaches on regularly, right, we will do more powerful things than this through his Spirit. And that's what we're called to until Christ comes again. And that's where contemporary response. How can we redeem it? And that will never be fully dependent on us. But it's the question of how do we redeem it until Christ's return. That's what this place is all about. That's what I hope you dig into in this semester. But before you do, answer that first question. And remember, in the beginning, God. It's not an easy thing to say once. It's a waking up every day, picking up your cross and following him kind of an answer about who's in the center. So I talked a little bit at the beginning of fear of missing out and anxiety. And I think, frankly, that's what Adam and Eve were struggling with. I think that's what Lewis and Augustine were struggling with. So I went to Scripture and I said, what does Scripture say about anxiety? And I want to read it first for you from the message and then from the ESV. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows then you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. And then there's that whole great section about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and the length of our years. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality God initiative, and God provisions. And then this, don't worry about missing out. That's why I wanted to use the message this morning for the longer passage here. Don't worry about missing out. And so I think whether it's the fear of missing out that's driving anxiety among high school and college students, whether it's a slightly worse in your generation because of social media, perhaps it is. But that fear of missing out that lie that the tempter told Adam and Eve is the same thing that fear of missing out is creating in this generation in terms of anxiety. These words are from the Sermon on the Mount, God, Jesus' most lengthy and extended teaching in all of Scripture. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. You can count on these words. God says, don't worry about missing out. I think sometimes that's a fear that I've had is that being a Christian in the world is somehow a confederate 
a second-class, a counterfeit reality to what I see out in the world. And I'm just here to tell you it's not. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And that's the message I have, particularly for second semester freshmen and for students that are within a semester of graduating. I often hear this, I don't know what God wants me to do. And I think you have perhaps the wording wrong. I'd ask you, what is God doing and how has he gifted you to help? And I think even the question, what does God want me to do, puts you at the center rather than going back to Genesis 1-1 and reading those first four words, in the beginning, God. And I have a sense that in terms of our calling as well as our development of both resume virtues as well as eulogy virtues, if we ask, what is God doing and how can I help? Our anxiety levels will go down, the clarity will come, and what he's called you to this semester is the very best you can do with what's in front of you today. And that's how I hope we live as a community in this semester to come. It's my prayer for you, it's my prayer for myself as well. I can often, often worry about five years from now. But what do I have to worry about? What is God doing today and how can I help? I hope that provides something for you. I, I want to make sure though to read it also in the ESV because I love this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that's the kingdom vision of Dort College. That's how he's asked you to participate in building his kingdom. And I hope that's a blessing for you in the semester ahead. Would you rise to receive... These words, John started us with Psalm 91. I'm going to end us with the words of Psalm 121. Lord, we lift up our eyes to the hills. From where does our help come? Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is our shade at our right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Focus on that this semester, Door College, and be blessed. Have a great day.